0: Welcome to the Sports Marketing Huddle, a podcast that looks at all things marketing in the world of sports. I'm your host, Rob Cressy, founder of Bacon Sports. And joining me today is Bill Yates, senior partner with Sports Advisory Group, a division of WB Grimes and Company. Bill, super excited to have you on the show.
1: I'm excited
0: to be here. So can you give a quick overview on who you are and what you do? I am, yes, I'm Bill Yates, and I am the
1: uh, senior partner with uh, Sports Advisory Group. Uh, I'm based in Fort Worth, Texas. Our company is based in uh, Maryland, Um, but uh, I I kind of, um, uh, well, I I pretty much put together ownership deals for professional sports teams all over the country, all over the world, really, um, and pretty much in, in all sports. And um at all levels although we do have some i guess niches you could say that we've we've really had more success in Um, uh, you know we we we're open to doing deals in sports and entertainment um all over the world so that's who i am very quickly
0: nice so there's two things that i want to talk about on this episode one how you can become a sports owner because it's something that we we see the Jerry Joneses of the world and you're like, how am I going to make a billion dollars and own the Cowboys? That seems so far away. But at the same time, I'm a big thinker and I'm a dreamer. And owning a professional sports team one day, I would love to do it. It doesn't matter what league it is. So let's talk about how we can make that possible. And then number two thing we're going to talk about is solution selling something that you are certainly an expert at? But let's start. Let's start with how you can become a sports owner and help break it down to where it can be a little bit more viable for us because it's not as realistic that we're gonna all become millionaires and Im- immediately buy the ownership group of the Pittsburgh Steelers or something. So help take us inside into really the process of this.
1: Well, I I, I think we've we. I mentioned our niche earlier and I think we, we've kind of found our niche with minor league sports uh, you know if you're if you're selling the Dallas Cowboys or LA Lakers or New York Yankees you might um, you might need a Wall Street firm to help you with that and that, and that's not 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 us we're more Main Street America uh, than Wall Street uh, we, we deal with people and teams team owners team investors who are typically at a stage in their lives where they're ready to follow their passion and, and, and have had significant success in a completely different industry, um, but have, have decided that they're at a point in their lives where it's time to, um, to follow what's in their heart, you know, something that they've been passionate about probably since they could, uh, walk and talk and, and, you, and that may be baseball or hockey or football or basketball or whatever it might be. Um, you know, they'll typically come to us and say, I'm interested in, a sport and I'm interested in this region of the country how can you help us find the right opportunity and and we'll typically um you know learn a little bit well quite a bit more about them and their interests and their um parameters I guess you could say on on what they what they're looking for and then we will dive in and start start uh looking for the right opportunity and then on the on the buy side, or on the sell side, we we do represent a lot of teams who let uh, existing owners who say that they are um, willing to sell hundred percent of their team, or in some cases, just a percentage. Uh, they may want to be raising capital for a new party deck in the outfield, or something like that. You know, or 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 or, or just want to um, sell some shares of the team and add some partners. Uh, maybe they need some local partners uh, if they if they're an out of town owner. They might need some local um support and so we'll we'll get together with them and um help them almost kind of like staging a home for real estate you know we'll prepare an offering memorandum and we will um we'll we'll make sure that we hit on all of the key points the the stadium or the arena lease the uh the the performance of business you know the ticket sales performance and sponsorship sales and concessions agreements and broadcast agreements and all the other elements that go into making it a successful business and um, and so we'll kind of analyze and, and review all of that and then um, help put it into a um, into a package so that it, that can be easily reviewed by an investor so to get to your question about how do you become an investor in sports I, I think a lot of people would be surprised I mean you know it's it's not it, it's and some it's possible to do without millions of dollars I mean it's it's certainly important that you are capable of um, make, of having some money tied up in, in an investment like this um, uh, but you know you don't have to be a billionaire to become a pro sports owner uh, probably to be a major league owner it might help to be a billionaire but to be a minor league sports owner um, it's it, it, it doesn't take quite as much as it would
0: be. So there's a few things that you said that really stood out to me. It's people who say, I want to follow my passion, but at the same time, you said a lot of these people don't have any experience in this. And you said making a successful business. And we've also said investment. So all of these things sort of are related, but are also... Uh, different from each other. So if you're passionate about something, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make it a successful business. And you also said investment. So it's like, well, just because you own a team, does it mean that this is a good investment? And I would like to think that may not always be the case because you have to go back to the making this a successful business. And is this something that on some level can be a shiny object syndrome like someone who says i would love to own a sports bar one day and then all of a sudden they realize oh my god now i'm spending all my day dealing with a liquor and beer distributors trying to figure this out whereas i just wanted to watch sports i could have just gotten season tickets behind home plate like take us into the nuts and bolts now of what it's like to own a team and does this make sense
1: yeah it um it can make sense i mean you you um, and it could also be a disaster. And, and I think that's part of what we try to identify is what, um, what can you fix? What do you have to live with? What, what, what's going well? What do you need to take better advantage of? We try to look at all of those things when we're representing a buyer. Um, we, we know that, and I think everybody knows, any, any sports fan knows, that um, the margins for minor league sports especially are pretty thin. And in some cases, negative. And um, you know, for some people, that's okay. And for others, it's uh, there's it's not acceptable. And I think for those those people who who think that it might be who might kind of accept a break-even point, um, usually it's because of their passion or because uh, this is a team that's in their neighborhood or in their hometown, and they want to. They want to contribute to a positive lifestyle for their neighbors and their their friends. And so they will um, you know, uh own the team and have fun with it. Uh, and then there are there are those who uh, and, and I'm not saying those people don't understand that it's business, but there are those who are are much, much more focused on the minutia of making sales calls and selling group tickets and uh, the price of hot dogs and um, you know what? What kind of sponsorship packages teams are putting together, and and how early you turn off the lights after a baseball game to save electricity. Those are the those are the owners who are who are who are seeing this as a um, they're, they're they're paying very very close attention to their P and L and making sure that it operates as a successful business and protecting their investment. And then there are other. I mean, there are so many different things that that so many different reasons that, that an owner might buy a team and. You know, there might be real estate that goes into it or a stadium ownership or or parking lot rights and, and all sorts of other things that, that, that an owner could um, – that might influence the performance of the team.
0: Is there anything that stands out as a common link among people who want to be part of ownership groups, whether it's minority or they want to purchase an entire minor league team – Of the trade. So you mentioned it's typically people who are passionate about this, but is there something when you see them, you're like, yeah, all of these people are a specific trait or something that stands out about them?
1: I I, I think I will get, I'll get back to passion. And I think um, if there's one character trait that, that comes into play almost pretty much every single time, it's that they, that the sport is a part of who they are, you know, it's something that they shared with with their parents or their family when they were children. It's something that they've shared with their children. Um, it's it's going to little league games and it's um, and it's going on road trips with your with your friends and families to watch games and 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 buying popcorn and cheering for the same common cause of uh, your, your the success of your favorite team. Um, I think it's those things that 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 are, are in us as sports fans that make us, I mean, if you look at the psychology of sports, um, you, we could be here all day talking about what makes, what makes a rabid sports fan. But I I think what it comes down to for most of these people is just the fact that it's that, that sports is really kind of what made them who they are. You know, it's, it's a recreation that, that, that forms us. Um, and as athlete to athlete, you know, we know that, that we can look back on some of the biggest growing experiences of our childhood and there's a very good chance that it was related to sports and not necessarily on the field, but the things that would happen off the field. And and that's, I think, I mean, I could go on and on talking about, um, about how sports make us feel, but I think that's probably the most common trait that I see among buyers. There's rarely is there a, private equity company or a venture capitalist who's going to come in and and buy a team simply because of the numbers and simply because of the scientific formula behind them and they can flip it in five years those all all those things go into consideration but the the one but the but the but if that's the that's the loan um objective for an investor probably isn't the right opportunity for them the right industry
0: all right. How has, if at all, the digital and social world in the evolution of it really impacted the way that ownership operates as well as the ability to make these businesses successful? Because if you were to get a new owner on board who doesn't buy into digital and social as opposed to an ownership group who does, I would have to imagine that you're going to see vastly different results, meaning that digital and social being the brand heartbeat of a team and the way for fans to connect and relate to that team, which has a direct link to ticket sales and revenue, I would have to imagine that there has to be an element of being digital and social savvy that has a big component to the success of these ownership groups.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think this, the digital... Um, the influence that uh, the digital world has on sports um, and, how, and, and how it relates to ownership. Um, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how it would relate to ownership except that um, it is obviously part of the consideration when doing your due diligence on whether or not a team is, um, is successful or going to be successful um, or the longevity of a team. You know, we see so many teams today that are uh, pretty much all of them are taking stronger hold of their um, messaging, and not just their messaging, but the, but how it's delivered. Um, they're, they're, you're seeing major league teams hiring the beat writers from the newspaper, or, or hiring the channel, uh, the, the 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 six o'clock newscaster, and. Um, to be their employees and to be their bloggers and bloggers and reporters, and they're bringing their they're delivering their message on their own. Um, um, so that that's that's one way that uh, that we're seeing sports change in general um, across the board, minor league, major league, and everywhere in between. Uh, but then you also have just you know the, uh, the way that's the way that sponsors are buying packages. They're not so interested in the branding opportunities with an outfield sign um they're more and I shouldn't say that that they're not interested in those things but they're they're just as interested in uh what kind of engagement kind of digital engagement how they can collect data from their um from the fans um I think most advertisers or more sponsors in sports understand that they understand the passion that we've already discussed they understand that 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 sports fans are um are are, are passionate and so they can appreciate that and they can appreciate their commitment to something they love and um so being able to track data and uh, collect information and engage with people and um and 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 do it in a way that embraces something that they're passionate about is really what is becoming we're seeing that become more and more important with advertisers so in terms of how digital affects ownership um, I don't know that the ownership itself is significantly impacted by that with the, except that, you know, if owners aren't considering how the digital world is affecting their business, then they are, um, they're in for a rude awakening when they do become an owner.
0: (laughs) Yes, indeed. So before we jumped on the podcast, I asked you, I was like, Bill, if there is something that you know about that you can deliver value to the audience where they're like man we got a few minutes with rob and bill and i want to know what's in bill's head and how he can help us out you said that that would be solution selling and i'm curious to hear a little bit more about your mindset around solution selling what it is and how it's contributed to your success yeah well i i you know
1: i, I just spent a week with the, with the minor league hockey team um Talking about uh, about just this topic, and it it really comes down to um, identifying some solutions, uh, identifying ad- identifying objectives, goals, um, and issues that that might uh, that that might that a company might have, a potential client might have, and whether this is in selling sports or 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 sending out your resume or um, or selling any other products that might be out there. I feel that it's important to understand what issues your customers might have, good or bad. What may keep them up at night? Um, what have they done that's been successful in the past? What have, uh, what, what kind of goals do they have in certain areas of their business? And then, I, I so identifying and evaluating some of those issues and then taking a look at the products and, and offerings that we might have as a company or even as an individual and being able to match those qualities to their objectives or to their issues and come up with a solution. You know, find out a way that you can contribute to their success or help um, resolve some of their issues or hopefully both. Um, and, and I think if you, can, if, you can, if you can do that in the proper way, then your, your chances of, of um, closing, or getting hired for the job, or 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 meeting your objective um, as a as a salesperson is is going to improve dramatically. So I encourage, I always encourage people to ask a lot of questions on sales calls, find out information about about the the the, the people who you are going to be asking for <laughs> for money, and um, and figure out how your products can can. Um, can can make their lives easier, and then make a great presentation about those products.
0: I think for a lot of salespeople out there, they would completely buy into everything that that you're saying. But I think one of the challenges that they can run into is even getting to that point. So if you think about how many of them out there are doing cold outreach, or someone who isn't just a warm lead given to you, saying, "Oh." Bill, I'm so happy to be talking to you right now. You're like, great, let's go through this series of questions. And, and I think once you get to the point where you're in the flow of solution selling, you get it. You can ask the questions and it becomes a lot more comfortable. But getting to that point isn't always the easiest thing because it's almost like diffusing a bomb. You've got to be able to get them to be able to allow you to get to that point, which I would think would go to you saying the proper way of doing this. So do you have any suggestions on, Hey, someone's got uh, cold outreach or, or something that may be a little bit more of a struggle to get to the point where they can do the solution selling? Yeah. You
1: know, I'm uh, the dreaded gatekeeper. You know, that, that's, that's something that uh, I've sat through trainings on and, and, and I think people have probably made a fortune figuring out how to get through the gatekeeper. Um, and I'm not a sales trainer, but I do have some hot opinions on on how to do that. I, I, I understand that struggle, I went through it. I started my career entry-level sales rep, um, cold calling, you know, making 60, 70, or 100 phone calls a day, and um, I understand that pain. And, and the question came up recently, or just someone pointed out that even caller ID could be considered a gatekeeper. Um, and how do we get around that? How do we get around caller ID and the the various ways that people have to screen out the pain in the neck salesperson who's who's, who's who keeps ringing their phone or pinging their email? And um, you know, I think I think we all just have to figure out what what works best with our personality. Um, we could sit here and go through all sorts of scenarios and role playing on. What to say to uh, to the person who answers the phone? What to say in the first five or six seconds of the of the time the the target answers the phone? What to say on the voicemail if you get their voicemail? How how do we trigger these people to get uh, or how how do we how do we push them to to return or or to acknowledge us at least tell us no at least tell us to quit bothering them you know give give us some sort of response Uh, you know that's a sales training that we could spend a week on and and I think that. Um, you typically have to have to understand what the what the objections are, and understand that these people are busy. And selling sports, as as somebody who sold sports for fourteen years, I f- I, I found that you know you are going to get punched in the mouth over and over and over again, um, trying to get through gatekeepers and 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 handling objections and not handling objections. And um, but eventually, you know, I think. What what what's interesting that I found over the years is that you realize that a lot of these people actually appreciate persistence, and and so long as you're not being um, a jerk about it, and and you're not being overly, um, you're not being I don't know, uh, pushy in a bad way. I don't know how to how to how to define pushy in a bad way, but uh, hopefully everybody understands what I'm saying. Um, I think so long as you're persistent in a professional manner and and, and considerate of, of and respect to, res, respecting their time, I think that um, a lot of people will appreciate more than you could imagine um, people will appreciate how you um, uh, will appreciate the persistence
0: I would agree with that one hundred percent and I think the key to that one is tone so if someone sends me the same email or message over and over and over again that says something to the, uh, sorry to take up your time, like the very first sentence and even the first five words that you see that show up in an email, the little snippet there, and you know the ones that are just copy and pasted from the same way. What I really recommend is you've got to have an element of variety to what you do. I know for me, what I really been focusing on is sending video messages via email to people, or I'll do it on social media as well. And on LinkedIn is because if we're looking at the barriers to entry, it's a lot of times is you've got to work on that no love and trust factor. And when you're talking to someone cold, they just lump you in with somebody else who's trying to sell you something. But if they can see you and hear you and you're different and you're persistent about this. So maybe you send a video message one and Maybe then you send a piece of content to, then you call them back, and then you sort of rinse and repeat, and you find these different touch points there. And I agree with you on the professionally persistent because I've had people who have just continually just grinded on me and grinded on me to the point where I actually said from a sales guy to a sales guy, I was like, yo, I appreciate your hustle. I'm just going to do you a solid. Uh, This isn't the right fit for me. We don't do we don't need a phone system or whatever, but I can still appreciate when someone uh, takes an element of personality into it and they tr- they try and know a little bit more about me, even if they are trying to sell me phone systems and I don't even have a landline phone uh, that element of candor. And it's like, well, why wouldn't I want to, have to do that? Why didn't I do that in the first 12 messages for them? Because it's a matter of respecting my own time that it's easier just to not respond back to it, but at some point I'm ready to get rid of it out of my flow. Yeah. Well I, I, I as
1: as someone who I mean I, I think we've lost touch with the good old fashioned phone call too. I get so many um, emails that are just so easy to delete. And um, and, and then and then they stop, you know, and then I don't hear from them again and hopefully my phone doesn't start ringing like crazy after people, after people see this. But um, I, I answer my phone, you know? If it's, if, if it's there, I answer it. And um, I think a lot of other people do too. And I don't wait for things to happen, It's the other thing, you know? I, I, I want to, I often send emails to people. I mean, that's typically how I begin my outreach when I'm, when I'm trying to promote something is, is uh, the initial, Contact is with email. Here's your heads up. I'm getting ready to call you, buddy, you know um, um, Not saying it exactly like that, but <laughs> that's that, that's that's the purpose of the email and you know um, I wait for a response and and if, if, if it doesn't come then just pick up the phone and call them. and, and that I don't think happens enough anymore in the world um, You know, I'm guilty of it too. I'm guilty of sending the text message and saying hey, can you can you talk in ten minutes? When I could have just picked up the phone and had my five-minute conversation with someone, um, that's I don't know maybe the way the world is going now. But um, I, I, you know, I think that we, uh, as salespeople, sometimes are a little bit afraid to pick up the phone and dial it. And I think so long as you know what you're going to say, you've got a reason to call them, and you you are prepared for what they might say, um, make the call. You know, it's that simple. So varying ways i mean i've i've done some huge deals by contacting people on twitter or linkedin and um so the, you know we've got all of these that's the other good thing about about the world today is that we've got different methods of number one finding out who people are um but number two just getting in touch with them reaching them so uh, to 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 follow up with your point, you know, being creative with your email, but not just the email. i mean i like I haven't heard of the video messages yet. I like that and might use it in the future. but I, I would say that um, mixing it up using using all sorts of different um, all of the different uh, forms of contact that we that we have at our disposal at this point.
0: And to wrap a bow on this, Bill and I did not know each other prior to this call. And how in the world did I get Bill on this podcast? I connected with him on LinkedIn. We didn't know each other, but I saw he worked in the world of sports and with teams and investment. I was like, boom, I want to know this guy. So I connected with him. And then the next thing that I did was, how about you come on my podcast? And that was the entry point for me to be different and get a conversation with someone like Bill. So when we're talking about how do you be creative and this is maybe the 10,000th time that I've mentioned this on the podcast of why in the world should you start a podcast is because it gives you an opportunity to build relationships in a unique way where now Bill and I have had a conversation together and he's now part of my network and I can start sending him business and I can start delivering value for him before I ever ask for a single thing from him. So, great, yeah. Bill, I really enjoyed this conversation with you. You have a lot of awesome knowledge and things going on. Where can people connect with you? Uh,
1: find me on LinkedIn. You can um, hit me up on Twitter, Tweets. That's Y A T s i e tweets Um, uh, you know find me on social media give me a call i'm i'm okay with uh with with all of these different methods of contacting me um don't be afraid to use them i love talking sports i love talking sports ownership i love talking sports sales um and and if you can help me great if i can help you i will and uh i'm glad i got to meet you rob
0: so, Bill, I'll ask this then. How could people help you? So, from our audience, if you're like, hey, if anybody knows this or uh, there's someone in their network, what would be a good ask that you could have for our audience? Well, I, I'm
1: always looking for people who want to invest in sports. I mean, that's, we have opportunities at all levels, from summer collegiate baseball and, and, and junior hockey to, um, uh, to the major leagues. And... Even European soccer, we did a a, a a soccer deal in Europe this year. So we've um, we've got so many different and, and gosh, we could go into sports um, software companies that that specialize in the sports industry. Um, we're starting to do movies now, major motion pictures that we've been doing some funding for. So um, you know anybody anybody that you may know or have a relationship that would have an interest in that sort of thing, investing in that sort of thing, feel free to give me a call. Um, we do pay a, a pretty friendly finders fee on, on those on those leads that we can get um and uh you know um if you're a sports team owner and, and you've ever thought about selling make sure you give yourself a little bit of time to get this process done because it is a process it could take a year um, but it's rare that it takes less than six months so if you're thinking about selling in the future let us know and we'll we'll Talk about the options and the opportunities that exist in selling
0: in the future. And as always, I would love to hear from you about this episode. Number one, I want you to take action. I say this all the time, but if you hit up Bill or myself, a crazy thing might happen. We just might respond back to you. I would love to hear from you about your business development mindset. How do you sell? Also, would you ever want to own a sports team? If so, what would you like to name that sports team? You can hit me up on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn at Rob Cressy. That's it. That's all. As always, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Sports Marketing Huddle, the number one thing you can do to support us is tell your friends about it. We believe in organic growth. And if you get value out of the free podcast we deliver, then we'd appreciate if you share on social media. If you're looking for some creative sports marketing resources, you can sign up for my newsletter at robcressy.com. I drop bite-sized nuggets of wisdom to get your juices flowing.